Listener Production. KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast. The Yolukut Wollum clan of the Boon who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your DM on the stuff that matters. One, two, three, Hi, everyone. Hi. Oh, and hi to you. <laughs> Thank you. Hi to you, Zanemi. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And welcome to another Kikwad episode. Mm. To everyone and you. Thank you. <laughs> no, you're, you're going to welcome me. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome me back. Welcome, Laws. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, for today's episode, mm. we have got a long, I was about to say long lost friend. No, because no, she's, she's not, not lost. lost. She's our friend. Yeah. Yeah. So, I hope she, she's That's, still our friend. She is our Maybe after she the podcast. Yes. <laughs> No. <laughs> She's probably listening um, like, what? I don't know. I don't know where this No, we were just anyway. discussing Sarah, who yes, was on the podcast. Sarah today. Davidson. We've known her quite a while. I reckon almost as long as we've known each other. Yes. Mm. And we first met through her Matcha Maiden mm. business, which is an incredible green tea powder, mm. which that's what Matcha is. I think yeah. everyone knows what Matcha is. I don't yeah. know why. Well, I didn't why know what Matcha was until Back Sarah. Sarah was yeah. one of the first people mm. to bring it to mm. Australia yeah. because she wouldn't have coffee. Yeah. And then we connected because we liked her matcha and then we loved Sarah. Anyway, so, but we're not talking about matcha today. <laughs> so Sarah is a TV presenter for Channel 7. She's the host of the Seize the Yay podcast, which we absolutely love. She's mm. an incredible interviewer and so much so that she's coming along with us on our kick tour next month on our wellness panel where there'll be a 45 minute discussion. And if you came to the kick tour earlier in the year, you would have met Sarah and seen her host our panel and it was so amazing. Today we're going to cover confidence because she spoke so well. She touched on this on the kick tour and we just really wanted to speak more about it. Um, We love hearing advice from different people on how they take confidence. Uh, The pressure of having kids. Sarah has a long-term partner. She's married and she's, you know, around that 30 mark. So that's the pressure we all know and, and feel, unfortunately. The biological pressure. The biological pressure. We say the 30 pressure. mark. It's 100%. not like, you, you know. You, also societal the, pressure. Yeah. But she speaks really pressure openly about it, um, about where she's at. Um, and we also got Sarah to reflect on who she was at 18 versus who she is now. We also had a bit of a giggle at some memories that popped up from that discussion. Just, when we just were all 18. 18. Yeah, not from now. Not we from didn't now. laugh at where Sarah is at now because no, Sarah is incredibly <laughs> successful. <laughs> she is. And we also spoke to Sarah about advice from herself to anyone who is currently still trying to find their identity in life. There's so much wisdom in this. So many really quotes. Is. Sarah is the quote queen. If She's you follow the quote her on queen. Instagram. Really recommend it. She mm-hmm. really serves a lot of quotes and they are always so like, oh, I just needed that today. Yeah. And you would think from the amount of amazing quotes of wisdom that Sarah served us up in this episode mm-hmm. that she was reading. No, it's all in her brain. It's all in her it's brain. Amaz- yeah, she, the way she references yeah, it, I'm amazing. like, wow. I mean, that's the law student in her though, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Law, lawyer. See, another she amazing was, thing. She was a lawyer. Oh, yeah, that's Not, true. She did student. Yep. Then she actually worked <laughs> for five years. Unlike <laughs> me, never worked. Amazing. Anyway. We're obsessed. <laughs> you will be too after you hear this conversation. Enjoy. Sarah, welcome. We're so excited to have you with us today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. It's such a pleasure. Oh, we just like love chatting to you and can't thank you enough for coming along the kick tour. You've absolutely nailed it as a host and just 
the best person to have in the room. You're just so amazing and we love everything that you do. So very, very excited to have you here. Oh, guys, the feeling is mutual. It's been such a privilege, like being (gasps) part of your community for so many years and admiring and watching what you've built over the last couple of years and then being out in the community, seeing like hundreds of young people and their faces light up to see you guys is just so special. And see you. Yeah, and see you. (laughs) Seriously. No, seriously. (laughs) Mainly see me get excited about seeing you guys. (laughs) No, it's seeing you two because I put a story up about the the kick tour Mm. saying that the tickets are live, like, you know, we're going to have a panel and, and then I put meet and greet. On there, which I don't know why I put it on there because I've never done that before. And like, obviously, we do a meeting great at the Kitchell, but I just, anyway, someone wrote back to my story and said, Who is the meeting great with? And then is Sarah going to be there? Oh my God. And I was like, First of all, I was like, no well, this way. is humbling, isn't it? Because it's with us. <laughs> We're not actually here sorry. for you, Laura. Um. <laughs> but people love you, people okay? Love you. Oh, that's <laughs> so sweet. That is really, really lovely. But I mean, honestly, like, I don't know, you guys probably don't toot your own horns enough, especially on this show because it's you guys Stop talking. It. But it is so special seeing like a room of 400, I think, at one of them, 400 people not just attending, but waiting at the end in a queue, <laughs> just like waiting an extra hour and you guys giving that extra time to get a photo and make every person, like usually the energy kind of drops by the last person and you're like, you know, haggard by the last photo, but you guys are still, the last person feels as special as the first person. And watching that is like, this is why you guys are so special. Oh gosh, we can come on anytime. Yes. <laughs> no, honestly, really I didn't get paid to say that. Everyone no. listening, it's fifty bucks. <laughs> Slide under the table. No, thank you, thank you, Sarah. And one thing, like being on the panel with us, you'll know that we speak about confidence. Not only on the panel when we go through the kick tour, but we also speak about it a lot. It's something that comes up a lot within the community, which is totally fair because I think we all know confidence can ebb and flow. And it's something that a lot of the time we find ourselves searching for in different capacities and different areas of life. So I would love to know what you do personally to help with your own confidence when you feel like you're lacking. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's probably among women particularly, but really anyone, the most consistent challenge that we all share. Mm. Like there aren't really that many people who haven't at some point grappled with, am I worthy? Do I deserve to be here? It's just like imposter syndrome is so rife. And I think the biggest misconception is that the more successful you get or the more goals that you achieve, the more it will fade away. Mm. I think that was probably in my relationship with confidence anyway. I thought as I got more qualified in whatever area, it would get easier. I would get more confident and I wouldn't have that crippling like, oh my God, do I deserve to be here? And But the biggest thing I've learned with self-doubt and imposter syndrome and those feelings of a lack of worthiness is I used to think it would go away. I thought the aim was for it to fade away. And actually, I've learned now to embrace the fact that it's a good sign. You don't want it to, to cripple you and topple you and to move away from a dream because you don't feel like you could do it. But I don't ever want it to go away. I think self-doubt is a sign you're doing something scary, Mm. that you're doing something new, that you're stepping outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, I feel like the more I speak to people who seem like they've got it all together, they're they're at the top of the game, they all still have that self-doubt because they're invested. If I didn't have self-doubt, I think, like if I wasn't nervous before this, I think Mm. I don't care enough about doing a good job. The difference is seeing it as like a reflex, like the same as if you bump your elbow on the table, like you're going to get that like weird jolt of, (laughs) oh my God, I'm nervous. Um, But it's just to learn to push it aside. And I think the thing about 
humans that makes us different to every other mammal is that we can have thoughts and we can think about those thoughts. It's called metacognition. We can have a thought and then evaluate that thought and go, oh, that's actually not a useful one or that's not true or I shouldn't listen to that. So my strategy really now is I have the reflex of, oh, shit, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. And then I think, okay, that's because this is new. That's because this is scary, but that's not really useful and it's probably not true either. So just push it to the side. And sometimes I can do that alone. I can have that dialogue. I talk to myself a lot, so I can usually talk myself around. (laughs) If I can't, you phone a friend. You phone someone else who, you know, believes in your abilities, has seen you do it before, who's going to be your hype girl or your hype guy and get them to help you break that circuit of you've done this before, this is just a normal sign. It's a normal reaction to something new. And um, yeah, it's a, it's confidence is really, it's ebbs and flows. It's really difficult, but I mm. think you can build strategies that help you through those harder moments. Totally. And I think I love that in those strategies that you mentioned both going internally and externally, because I feel like we've definitely mentioned before that it's like really important that you can work through stuff yourself and, and work on that yourself. But I think also it's, it's just life that sometimes you need a little bit of external help or support from those around you who you feel comfortable with to perk you back up. I think mm. it's it's okay to have to need to reach out and to not always be okay, like to do it by yourself. Yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that's really important, particularly in this day and age where our environment isn't just our physical environment, we're consuming so much information and mm. we've got triggers all the time. It's also knowing your triggers for confidence because mm. we all have certain things that will make us feel better and make us feel worse. And it's like a, you know, a scab. Sometimes I feel like you know something's going to make you feel crap, but you keep picking at it anyway because you're like, oh, yeah. That's me. <laughs> and you just end up in this black hole of like, who am I? Oh, my God. And if you're not careful about really sort of blocking out those triggers before they hit you, mm-hmm. then you can end up like, you know, losing your productivity, losing your motivation and losing your confidence. So for things like during our wedding, for example, I knew that my comparison in terms of body image, in terms of the dress I chose, in terms of all the choices that I made, I was going to be really vulnerable about wedding specific content. So I had to mute everything for the Mm. couple of months before our wedding so that it wouldn't, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy. So that my confidence in my choices and in our special day wasn't going to be ruined. Mm. But then the minute after we got married, I could follow Vogue Brides and like not not care about that content. So I feel like be, pay really careful attention to your triggers, to the Mm. people that make you feel good, to the people who maybe don't make you feel good. And same with the content around you. Or even when you have your period, Mm. I know that I'm more vulnerable about Mm. certain things like skin or bloating or, you know, know what's going to make you feel good and bad in certain times of your life. And having those strategies in place is also really important. I I love how you speak about it as it's not you don't have to fix self-doubt because I think that's something that, I mean, probably a lot of people have made a lot of money from saying like, this is how you fix self-doubt, but you're right. It shows that you care. And I'm exactly the same if I'm doing public speaking or whatever it might be. If I'm not nervous, like it generally, I'm like, can the nerves come? Because it means that I, I, it's like it means you care care and you really care about it. And sometimes I'm you want to appreciate every single like mm. opportunity that you get and nerves are almost an indicator of that, that, you know, you're pushing totally. yourself out of the comfort, your comfort zone, you're doing something different. But I really love that you speak about it as like, it's always going to be there. You have to find ways to manage it because if you don't find ways to manage it, it, yeah. it can cripple you and that can hold you back from, you know, what we are capable of, which we never, ever, ever want to happen. Mm. But it's just being okay and open with the fact that it does exist and that's normal for so many people. Totally. And I think another thing as well is that when you're younger, 
you spend so much of your life trying to suppress the things that make you different, maybe even a little bit quirky, mm. maybe even a little bit weird in my case. And I, I remember like spending so much of my life, confidence for me meant being like everyone else. Like the more I could assimilate, the more being I could in. look and talk and dress like everyone else and stand out less, the more I felt confident because I was like, oh, no one's looking at me. Like it's fine. I'm doing everything everyone else is doing. And that's such a shame. It's such a shame that we suppress those things about us because the older you get, the more you realize actually people who are confident and owning the things about them that are different are the coolest people. They're the people who make you feel more confident in you. And you guys know I have kind of an interesting cultural background in that I was born in South Korea and then adopted. So I've always had this interesting, you know, like ethnicity versus nationality versus, and even that, I spent so much of my younger years like denying that I was Asian. I mean, it's so obvious to everyone else except me. Like, because I was like, I don't want to be different. I don't want to even talk about this story. I felt so, not embarrassed, but just awkward because it was so unusual. So I just, you know, when you just kind of like, avoid talking about something at all costs because you're like, this is such a confidence trigger point for me. So I would just ignore it completely. Now, the more I talk about these things and the more I embrace the parts of me that are different and talk about having no boobs and talk about having, you know, different eyelids and that kind of thing, you realize that's what makes you special. And confidence comes from embracing those things, I think, rather than pushing them away. It's so true. When you see people just living their life yeah, being and them. just because even I mean we were speaking about Abby Chatfield before we started and I when I, I love following her and looking at what she does and I often speak to Dalton about it and, and I'll be like oh my god look what she posted like this is amazing and he's like <laughs> oh yeah okay and I'm like no but she's just own like owning, us, owning yeah. who she is and it doesn't she's not applying by this like rule book that we mm. think that we have to especially being in like the public eye and everything that we have to abide by mm. and it's just to see people as as you said like just exuberating confidence and, and maybe internally she doesn't I was feel that say, way you know I it probably if you doesn't asked her, she absolutely would still have all of these same feelings but it is so yeah. I like look at what she's doing I'm like yes projects herself yes yeah, like that just makes her. me feel so in, like it, it I, yeah exactly right yeah. but so interesting you said that Steph because I feel like a big part of it is actually fake it till you make it like totally. that's a cliche for a reason because it works yeah. because you know you guys when you turn up at a meeting and you don't feel confident no one else would know that and that's kind of the point like that's a really good strategy if you just manifest that you're feeling confident even changing the tone of your voice mm. if you turn up to a meeting and you're kind of like oh, I'm pitching this thing, but it's not very good. You're going to hear yourself, you know, like I feel like you manifest how you're feeling and then that kind of just becomes this vicious cycle. But if you present as confident, you take up more space, you don't sort of, even in your posture, Posture. you don't shrink away, then you sort of start to believe that it's like this self-fulfilling thing. So you can set the tone before you even turn up that I will appear confident and then you start to believe it and then especially in speaking Mm. the nerves fade in like the first five minutes but if you start nervous it's really hard to shake it so I kind of start the loudest have a big joke own it I'll often mention that I'm nervous at the beginning yeah yeah I always at the kick tour I'm always like if anyone else needs to do a nervous (laughs) week because I just did one and it just puts you at ease because you're like I'm not pretending that you know I don't have nerves but I'm also gonna you know push through them it's yeah it's a real head game We'd also love to speak to you, Sarah, about your so your wedding. How was it? Two eighteen or oh, was ago, it? Oh yeah. my goodness! Because twenty nineteen. Yeah. So it was, oh my god! It was before yeah. COVID. Yeah, it was before, got, COVID. Right oh, before so, COVID. Oh, so okay, just right. before. So three three years ago. Three years ago. 
And I wanted to chat to you because it's something that we, we speak about a lot, especially, I suppose, on, on the topic of women and our careers um, and having kids because, as you know, Seth, it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very, very hard balance. It's a hard decision. And I think, too, in terms of Instagram and social media, mm-hmm. and I've definitely found it, as soon as you get married, it's like if I put a question box up, half of them, when are you having kids? <laughs> yeah. And it's like this this pressure from everyone. So we wanted to talk to you about like how, how are you feeling about it? Because you, you've been married for three years. And I think also obviously the, the hard thing with being a female is that we do have a biological clock, which is just this wild, this annoying, thing, wild, just, annoying it, thing. Yes. So how, like so how? So rude. So rude. I mean, honestly. <laughs> do you feel pressure? Uh, it's interesting. I definitely have had that same experience as you. Like the minute you get married, in fact, the minute you get engaged, it's like, when's your wedding? And then the minute you get married, it's like, yeah. when are your babies? And then the minute you have a first baby, it's like, when's, when's your second the baby? second one coming around? I can tell you now. And it's hard because, you know, part of you does get, I have really learned that the should, the pathway of least resistance, the pathway that's, you know, the most beaten track is like where everyone does kind of gravitate towards. And I'm learning to resist that because the greatest things happen when you, you know, you choose your own pathway. But I also understand. Like, I love your quotes. I love them <laughs> I know, so much. Seriously, can that be one of your quotes? <laughs> like part of me does get a bit annoyed because I'm like, how dare you ask that? What if I'm having trouble? But I understand that it's because there is a biological clock and there, you know, there are natural steps that do happen. So I'm learning to get a little bit less annoyed when people ask those questions. They are just curious. But I think there is there's pressure from all different angles. There's a lot of, uh, I don't think I necessarily feel external pressure. I don't think anyone's kind of waiting with bated breath or thinking it's weird if I'm not having kids right now. I think mostly it's come as more curiosity mm. or, and particularly from closer friends, it's more like, are our kids going to grow up together? It's not like you should be having children. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see that as pressure. I just see it as curiosity. Mm. I actually think the pressure is coming more from myself which is interesting because often I think people talk about the external pressures. For me, it's more like, oh my gosh, I am 33. I do have, you know, that juggle, that unavoidable juggle if you want to be a mother of when is the gap going to work, which is never going to work. You're never going to have a point in your career that just opens up and goes, woo, children time. Like it's never going to be easy to pick that time. But I have these competing views of myself as like, I want kids. I want to be a mother so badly and I want this future for myself, but I can't have that future unless I do these things now. And I think the timing pressure is especially being adopted. And my, mm. you know, Nick, my husband, his mum was adopted. So our pool of sort of information about fertility is even less. Our pressure is definitely more internal. Like we, we can't necessarily you know, take as long, you know, it can't, you know, I'm 33. I don't have that much time mm. if we want two kids. And yeah, that, those thoughts go around, around in my head a lot. And especially as you get closer to, I think from 34 onwards, the pregnancy is called a geriatric pregnancy by is definition. It? I think maybe it's 35, I don't know, 34 or 35. It's definitely gone up. But now, even if I got pregnant today, by the time the child is born, I'm automatically in the geriatric category. So those kind of things are definitely playing on my mind of like, I don't want to wait for the perfect time and then really struggle and think, oh, if I'd started earlier, maybe mm. I wouldn't. You know, it's it's a, you guys have probably heard me say this before. I make most of my decisions in life, the big scary ones to the day-to-day ones based on a future regret management matrix. Is future me going to regret? Which What's future me going to regret more? Taking the risk or not taking the risk? With children, that's really difficult because... I'll probably regret both things. I'll probably regret waiting really long, but I might regret doing it too early Mm. and then missing the momentum that's going on in in our career. And yeah, I think there's a lot of personal pressure going on. 
Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Because then it's like the, and I, I completely, completely agree with you. And I think you also wanted to acknowledge before when, um, in terms of the question, we have spoken before about the fact that just so everyone knows that Sarah, you do want to have kids because yeah. I think it's really important yeah, when you are asking that question. It's like that, we should yeah. not assume that anyone wants to have kids and also we shouldn't assume that someone isn't already trying and yeah. they're really struggling. So yeah. I just want to be really clear with everyone. Yeah. We have spoken about this before. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think uh, yeah, in terms of myself, I, I completely agree. Like I think it's that, especially in terms of career, you don't know what's coming to know what you're going to miss or what, mm. you know, is going to have to be put on hold. And I think I, I speak to my mum and my mum, she obviously has a totally different career path than I than I do, but she had kids earlier and a lot of her friends that were in the same university course had more time to develop their career, which then meant, and in my parents' relationship, mum stayed home. So she had a pause on her career for, we've, I've got two sisters, so over like five years. And that pause was like really detrimental to helping mm. her grow. Mm. And so mum oh, growing up always spoke to us about that. And I think I've got got that in my head, obviously. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know, I then speak to people that are like, oh, you just make it work. But it is it is hard. And then I speak, I hear people speaking about, oh, I don't want to be, be an old mum, I want to be a young mum. And yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> there's just this. And, and is that something we're going to, reg- like there's just so I many that things that come into your head. Yeah, I think whatever path you will be the right one, on. right? Yeah. And whatever path you take on, yes, it'll be the right one and there'll be elements of it that you feel okay with. But there'll always be elements of like, that I still envy my friends who don't have kids some days. Mm. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's no matter what happens if you decide to have kids or not in this time, I don't think you ever find this like a magical time that's like 100% right. But I think no matter what, it's normal to go down a path and to think, what if? Yeah. And like imagine a different life. I think that's totally normal. But it doesn't mean that you don't feel right in the path that you're in. The hardest thing I've found is like I I have a lot of really close friends who have just wanted to be a mum. Like, yes, they had to, a lot of them are still lawyers. And yes, they did have to think about the big pause in their career. But their priorities were so clear to them. It was just so clear that their priority right now is to become a mum. And I had to get my head around the fact that I didn't feel that way. I definitely want to have children. Mm. I'm so maternal. I've loved babies since I was a baby. Like I <laughs> babysat my whole life. I steal everyone else's children. Like I, I love kids so much. But it was almost, I don't quite know the words to describe it, but I almost had to come to terms with the fact that I was probably never going to get that feeling. Mm. Like I think I'm actually at risk of, being so into what I'm doing that I never, like if I waited until I was like, yes, this is the time I'm, de- I'm so dedicated, then I'd be 40. Mm. Like I, I think some women who are really career driven and opportunity driven or who are in the middle of momentum and who find everything exciting, you might never get to the stage where you feel like you're really excited. I, of course I'll be excited, but where you're really like, this is the right thing to do. And that it's okay that you'll have to, I'm, I'll actually have to talk myself into mm, it, I yeah. think. There's yeah. a part of me that like future me is like definitely want that. Yeah, but it's it sounds strange because you want it so badly, but then you're like, why should I have to talk myself into you're it? Managing the regret. I feel like that's yeah, what I'm, that's what I'm, that's my battle in my head. It's like, if I were to fall pregnant, it would be fine. But just internally, yeah. what I feel that I need to do in the next two years, in my head, I don't have a child in that. in that pressure that I'm putting on myself. But my biggest fear in the world, and I know I could do something about it, I could just go get a fertility test, which I just should do. And same for Dalton, obviously, because it's both of your fertility. But my biggest worry is that I am sacrificing a lot Mm. for 
kick and what we want to yeah. do. And however, I just, there's that worry that I will regret not having kids sooner. It's like, and you this, know what? It's, you'll never know. You'll no, never know. You won't. Yeah. You won't. And I think, I mean, like, one way of trying to manage that is definitely, as you mentioned, like, fertility tests are available. Mm. If that's going to help you in your decision making, of course. But I think for me, I obviously made the decision because I genuinely feel like I was put on this earth to be a mum. And I feel like I've found a huge purpose, yeah. you know, by by having Harvey and being a mum. And I feel really, really good about it. And I love it. But I have to then battle with this huge split because there's the other half of me that has a huge passion in what we do mm. with Kick that still feels like a strong purpose for me. Mm. So it's hard because it's like I was made for this. I'm good at this. I love this. It brings me so much joy. <laughs> but then I'm like, but I really, really want to keep working. Like I really love this and I love what we do and we've got more to do. And so I think you can be both. I yeah. think you can have both. It's just that I know that I'm going to struggle with guilt on both sides. Mm. I'm going to feel guilty when I'm with him because I'm not working. And then I'm going to feel, feel guilty, guilty working because I'm not with him. And I know that I have to live with that. Yeah, it's hard. There's, a, there's so much, so much pressure going on. It's hard. But I did want to talk to you about finding your identity or finding who you are. And you did touch on earlier in the podcast, um, you know, a bit of your story uh, in that you were adopted and finding your identity through culture and all that sort of stuff, which is amazing. And I, I actually, I've kind of stolen a little bit of a segment for us today from Archetypes, which is Megan Markle's podcast. I really love what she, she finishes off her episodes with a three-word question. So we're going to be, do it a little bit differently. It's not going to be three words. But what I like about the question she asks is she gets the guests who reflect on who they, how they would have described themselves when they were like 18 versus how they describe themselves now. But instead of three words, I would just love you to take, take yourself back to like Sarah at 18. Who were you then? How did you feel in yourself versus you now? Yeah, that's such a beautiful activity to do. You <laughs> rarely get to reflect on that. I feel like that's a really beautiful question. And I love that you didn't make me do it in three words because I can't answer any questions. <laughs> You've asked me two questions in this whole podcast <laughs> and my answer was the entire show. <laughs> oh gosh, 18-year-old me had just finished school. I was in my first year of uni, I think. And I mean, the biggest memories are A, the pencil thin eyebrows when I already only have seven <laughs> eyebrows. So plucking them to within an inch of their life. But also the like Maybelline Dream Matte yes. Mousse yes, not blended down my neck. Like just a hard <laughs> yeah. neckline. Yeah. Um, impulse, impulse. The impulse spray, but the yes. purple ones. Yes. And just like back on confidence, like not leaving the house without makeup, even if I was only seeing strangers. And I don't know why. Like I just, you get so hung up on yourself and mm. you just, I don't know, now I rock around without no makeup most of the time and it's so liberating and you learn to love yourself with all your imperfections. And mm. um, and I think the other thing about being 18 is, you guys know I love quotes and my favourite quote that is the advice I would give anyone at any age is you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. So much of our life is trying to reverse engineer that final destination of, uh, I call it your yay, some people call it success, others call it fulfillment, happiness, whatever you call it, we look for this static final place of, oh, I've made it, I can be happy now, or I've made it, I've got there. And 18-year-old me was so fixated on that. I was so unsatisfied that I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought by the end of school I would have figured it out. but Another thing, another quote I love and that mum always would say to me is, if you don't know what you want to do, you might as well do something. And I think that always helped me just put one foot mm. in front of the other. And even if you don't, that comes back to that staircase thing. I was 
unsure. I didn't really have direction, but I also was happy knowing I didn't have to figure that out. Mm. Like I know it more now and I wish I could reinforce it to myself then, but I just was like one foot in front of the other. Each year of uni, you'll get one more piece of information. And that was probably the very early start of my idea now of your yay is a jigsaw puzzle. You're not getting to a static picture. You're not hanging this painting up on a wall and it's going to stay like that forever. Each new step is adding new jigsaw puzzle pieces that suit you better and getting rid of the old ones and ignoring what everyone else's jigsaw puzzle looked like. So I'd say the biggest difference from 18-year-old me to now that had probably started brewing then was um, that now I'm okay if it doesn't look like everyone else's. And I've realised every moment as an 18-year-old and younger, and probably well into my 20s actually, every moment that I tried to be someone else, I was depriving everyone who needed the me that I ended up being. And I think anyone else out there who's not being true to who they are Mm. and who's being too pulled by comparison what other people are doing, not that, I mean, that's very normal. It's, of course, it's important to be guided in some way by other people and by pathways, but every time you suppress what's special about you and you don't follow that, you're depriving the people out there who need what you need from getting that from you. And I think that's, uh, who's the person, you, you know, the Thai cave rescue diver mm, guy. Mm. So my ultimate whole like philosophy on seize the A is that your yay is not meant to look the same as anyone else. And if it, the world would suck if we were all the same, so if we true. all stuck to the things that everyone else did, no one would get anything done and there would be no colour and joy and excitement. And his passion and profession is so weird and unique and it doesn't make sense to anybody else. But he's an anaesthetist by trade and his passion was technical cave diving. Mm. So literally diving so that you can't come straight back up. It's when you dive down and sideways and you can't see anything. And that's the weirdest. Like they don't make sense to each other. Mm. The diving isn't productive for the job. Like by all accounts of what you should do in your career, like none of that makes sense to each other. But he stuck with it. And then when the 13 Thai Mm. boys got stuck in the cave, there was one person in the world, in all the militaries in the world, who could do the dive and sedate the boys. Mm. And that is now my like, anecdotal story to anyone that if you don't stick with what is your weird combination of joy and passion and skills and talent, then those boys wouldn't have had him because he would have gone, oh, that's weird. I shouldn't do that. That's a waste of time. So I feel like, yeah, 18-year-old me would have suppressed those things. And now me now is like, no, the weirder and wilder I am, the more I'll find the people who need that exact combination of weird and wildness. <laughs> it's so nice. It is, that is it? just so powerful and, and special. And, and I think too, I just, I keep thinking back to what you said about the puzzle. I love that quote so much. I also, I don't like puzzles very much. So I, yeah, I generally no, I like don't like puzzles. I don't like, but what I don't like about it, and which I feel like we're going to connect on, is that if you got a puzzle, like if you went to the shop and you bought a puzzle when you were 15 and then that puzzle, you got all the pieces, you put them all over the table and you didn't know how they were going to come together yet because you didn't know exactly how your life was going to go. But you could see exactly what your life was going to be at that moment and it was not going to change. Yeah. How boring is that? So No one wants a puzzle at 15 that like when they're they're still like, oh, time to put the corner in now that I've been looking at for my whole life. You know, it's like, I think it's so beautiful the way that you look at that Mm. in that like we don't, I think if you really, really deeply ask yourself, if I knew exactly what I was going to be doing and I was going to be doing the same thing for the rest of my life, for some people that might be fine, Mm. but that's not me anyway. So I love that I don't have my puzzle pieces. There's like, there's heaps missing. And I always think that like, Things often don't work out how you planned, but they work out better. It's mm. because if you stick too hard to the plan that you have, you don't allow for the fact that in two years' time, you're going to be a different person. You're going to have experiences that change what you believe about the world. If I 
believed the same things that I believed when I was 18, I would not be standing up. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would not be able to cope in this world. The world moves so fast. I think the stat now is you're meant to have between 9 and 12 careers. So there's actually, I actually think there's less pressure on mm. you to make, you're not yeah. ever having to make a forever decision. And that's the other thing is like, because you're not, we're not in our parents' generation where you became a teacher or a lawyer and like there were like three jobs and you kept them for your entire life. We actually have the benefit of knowing this only has to last until the next big change Mm. in the landscape. I can be 12 different people in my lifetime and that's amazing. But it also, I think the difference between 18-year-old me and now me is that I've realised if something doesn't work, it actually doesn't matter. Mm. Not only because you're expected to change careers so many times, but also because I think as you get older, you just care less about what other people think. You realise everyone is too busy with their own stuff anyway to pay attention to what you're doing. (laughs) But also, if I told you you could fail, but no one else would ever find out about it, would you still be scared of the failure? Or would you realize that you actually aren't scared of failing at all? You're just scared of people knowing that you failed. Mm. Most people answer that question by going, oh, if no one knew, of course I'd give it a go. Because if I fall or if I like mess up or I lose a lot of money, like I won't look silly. We're just scared of looking silly. You know what's so funny? I just literally pictured myself like falling over something and then instantly standing up and looking around. Look, sure you look around first. <laughs> and isn't that weird? I know that's like a really small example of what you just said, but that's what I pictured no, in my it's mind. True. Like, but that's it's the exactly perfect right. example. It's like if you fall, you don't actually care if you fall and break your leg mm. or if you vomit in public or all those things that you're deeply <laughs> yeah, terrified of. of. Yeah. If you remove the audience or you remove anybody else knowing about it, you realize none of us are scared of failing. If I fall and or if I like tried a business, lost all the money and failed, but I knew no one would ever find out about it, I don't think I'd think I was a lesser person. I'd just be Mm. like, you know what? I tried it. It didn't work. Next idea. Like I'd move on so quickly. It's the embarrassment factor. Mm. It's the judgment factor. And the most liberating thing about each decade is you just care less about that, which means you're so much more willing to try stuff because you're like, if I try and it doesn't work, who cares? I'll just try something else. And on that note, so we are pushing away others' judgment. Yep. We are believing in ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're feeling confident. Mm-hmm. We've we've got puzzle pieces that we don't know are going to come into our lives here. Owning our own path. And we are so, so grateful for you, Sarah. So we grateful. could literally oh. speak to you for four hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which so we kind of did. You. I, I feel like we talked for like an hour before we started recording. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our community. Thank you for joining us on the Kick Tour. We are so excited to, to have you a part of Kick. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Kickpod. If you would like to get more involved, you can actually send us a DM or a voice memo, which we would love to, at Keep It Cleaner on Instagram. And that's also where you can stay up to date with everything Kick related. And if you've been thinking about trying Kick, we have a 14-day free trial. You can download the Kick app on the Apple or Google Play Store or visit keepitcleaner.com to find out more. If you would like tickets to the Kick Tour, you can head to kicktour.com to grab tickets to our Kick Tour in Adelaide, Perth and Auckland, New Zealand, where Sarah Davidson will be joining us. We are also on socials at Steph Smith and at Laura.Henshaw. And we will catch you next time. Bye.